You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Good morning for you turning to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, beginning to read in verse 25. What we find is that Jesus here addresses the problem of anxiety. He gives adequately its cure, but I think we seldom properly apply the solution. Matthew six twenty-five. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious about your life as to what you will eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or with what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of his own. Worldly trouble, worry, and anxiety. These, we find, are a common spiritual malady. Now, it's not just that it's a spiritual malady. There are bad consequences of anxiety that are both mental and physical as well. It's interesting that this is the one thing that Jesus takes an awful lot of time uh, talking about as far as internal, it becomes a, a, a matter of faith. It becomes a matter of trust. Uh, do we have worry and anxiety, or do we have trust? Uh, much of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount uh, deals with some behavioral issues, deals with some misconceptions about the law and misapplication of the law. It, it talks about uh, being generous, a bit being kind to the things of the golden rule, and the Beatitudes, but it's interesting that this much time is spent on anxiety. Jesus, I think, has to be the worst Xanax salesman in the world. Of course, not that it seems like that's hard to sell. Uh, the, the, two, the two largest prescriptions, always, always in the top five, now, year after year in modern times, Xanax and Viagra. For some reason, those two always make the top of the list. 
And often it's him getting one and her getting the other. Don't know if they're related or not. But these things, these things trouble us. Anxiety does. And there's a reason why those things that deal with anxiety, uh, the chemical things, either by name, brand, and a pill, or by generic and brood in a vat. Uh, these things are things that people seek after because they need some relief. And that's a constant call of the world, and especially in today's world, that it just seems like uh, people want some relief. Anxiety, this feeling of fear and concern that often exists on its own and seems to feed on itself. And then you throw a little bit of ill-informed news and rumor, and what happens but anxiety explodes. And worry, persistent doubt, and fear that produces a state of mental agitation. These are not really actions. Worry and anxiety, uh, sometimes concern, will go and act in a loving way. But anxiety and worry, these are just states of mind. These are just uh, immobilizing, frustrating things that cause us to be confused and discouraged and preoccupied and unclear of mind and to be nervous and upset of stomach and effects on the heart and the high blood pressure. It weakens the immune system. We know that these things work on us physically. We know they work on us mentally. But here Jesus points out and spends this much time in the Sermon on the Mount about it, not because he's concerned about your health care, not that he's not, but that's not the, the point of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the spiritual aspects of these things, which can work us into doubts about God's love and care, even denial of God's care for us. And so these things weigh down the heart. These become contrary to faith. Luke 21, 34, be on guard. Lest your heart be weighed down. Heart weighed down. With dissipation and drunkenness. Oh, yes, terrible sins. Uh, excess of all kinds of things. And alcohol. Yep, yeah, don't do that. Oh, and the worries of life. And so we know Christians who would never deign to have a drop of alcohol pass their lips, but worry eats them up. And here in the same list of sins, with excessive dissipation and drunkenness, uh, things which uh, these Christians would every day disavow, and they, they would uh, just be uh, gasp and, and horror that one would think they would do such a thing or ever had, and yet and still, worry gets them. In Mark 4, in the parable of the sower, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires to, the, and other desires enter in the heart and choke out the word. Once the sower put that good seed there, and these become unfruitful. And so again, those who would disavow greed, those who would uh, talk about the need for spiritual things and be right about that, still at times might have the worries of this world choke out the word in their heart. And so the bad consequences of anxiety are legion, and they are spiritual as well as the other. And so we also find because they are spiritual, they are enhanced by sin. You know, things have an effect. Uh, things affect one another. Nothing hardly is done in a vacuum. 
It's why it's such a hard thing to study economics, because you change a little bit of thing here and it changes a little bit over there. It's also one reason why it's so hard for uh, medical researchers uh, to uh, figure out what new medicines do, because, uh, uh, well, in this patient had this effect, but if that patient had that effect, and then they go, oh, well, that patient was also on this medication. Or, oh, that patient drank this juice. You know, why do they tell you if you have certain medications? Stay away from the grapefruit juice. Not a problem. I like grapefruit juice, but it's really acidic so much that I don't have it much. All right. But there's a number of medications they tell you. Stay away from the grapefruit juice. Why? Because it affects things. Or there's a number of medications or there's a number of things. They say, don't take this if you're a heavy drinker. All right, good. Not a heavy drinker. Just a heavy warrior. How's it? Does that affect that? But what we find is that things enhance one another often in strange ways. And so anxiety is enhanced by sin. It's one of the reasons why to avoid anxiety at all, also the sin that that provokes it and the sin that causes that reaction, right? It's sort of like uh, one of our children is allergic to shellfish, and so she can't have the shrimp. So it's real easy to tell her, don't eat the shrimp. (coughs) Then they put it in something she didn't know was there. Well, the thing here was... With sin, <coughs> with sin and anxiety, now, these go together and they enhance. So just avoid anxiety, just avoid sin. Okay, I'll try that. But these are difficult, but they need to be avoided because they affect each other. So <coughs> Psalm ninety four nineteen. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, thy consolations delight my soul. So sin multiplies anxious thoughts. God's word consoles. Or Psalm 38, for I confess my iniquity. I'm full of anxiety because of my sin. So anxieties multiply, but the word consoles. Anxiety comes because of sin, and so I'll confess. And so one of the ways to deal with these, both sin and anxiety, is to actually just confess it. Just admit it. Don't let it stay in there growing. Don't let it go wild. But instead, confess it, forsake it. Ask his forgiveness from it. Because anxiety and doubt, what we find is that these things, that just causes doubts to run wild. When we have a lack of faith, when we're overwhelmed with doubt and anxiety, this parade of horrible things that we can imagine comes up. It's not very often that college professors in political introduction to political science classes say things that are lifelong memorable, but that happened to me one time. My introduction to poli-sci professor, he was talking about political campaigns, and he said one of the most effective ways to campaign against your opponent is that uh, talk about the parade of imaginary horribles that will occur if they get elected. And so you talk about all the bad things that would happen when the other, if the other side gets in charge. And I, I remember that turn of phrase since the day he said it in that lecture about 9.30 on a, I think it was a Tuesday morning at that class uh, in the lecture hall in Canyon, Texas. But that, that, that turn of phrase, parade of imaginary horribles. I wrote that down and I remember it ever since. A parade of imaginary horribles. And you know what happens when I can't sleep at night? They tell you, count the sheep. 
But to count the sheep, I'd have to get the parade of imaginary horribles off the stage first. Because the imaginary horribles like to come by first. And I think of all of them. And the mind races. The mind races into all sorts of distorted and demented places if we allow this parade of imaginary horrible things to go by. If we think about all the past mistakes that have bloomed, all the future troubles that's in the way, we think about all the things that are unknown, all the things that might happen to me, all the things which so they seem like they're going to be inevitable, all these things that happen when uh, people, uh, they're going to come back and get me for what I've done, all these things uh, that that the world is out to get me, all these things that of envy and jealousy and negative thinking and the criticism I'll get if I do this or if I don't, or the criticism I'll get if I do both, the lack of praise I'll get no matter what, how's all going to go wrong, and pretty soon I can't sleep at all. I'm ready to reach for the bottle of something, properly prescribed or not. No, I need to not do that. Lack of faith will let the mind run absolutely wild. The mind needs to be fenced in by truth and security and the things of God. Let's turn back to Jesus. Our cure for anxiety will be here in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus addressed the problem. So it was a problem. There's a reason why Jesus addressed it. So back to Matthew 6. And we're going to see that the things that Jesus talks about will fall into two broad categories. Trust in God's care and seeking the kingdom. Trust in God's care and seeking the things of God. If you will do that, your anxiety will be greatly reduced, certainly enough that it's no longer in a sinful state. Verse 25. Again, as we started to read, for this reason I say to you, don't be anxious for your life. (laughs) Just all of it. How much stuff is in life to be anxious about? Or so what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Not for your body, or nor, nor for your body, as to what you will put on. Is life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yeah, it is. I remember one time sitting down with a financial planner, and they started telling me about the amount I should set aside for each child's education, the amount I should set aside for retirement, the amount I should set aside for my emergency savings fund, and the amount I should set aside for this, and the amount I should set aside for that, and it did not leave hardly a budget for the groceries, much less the rent. I was like, okay, well, thanks for your help. I've got, got a whole bunch of things to worry about I didn't even know I should have been worried about yet. And sometimes that's a blessing that somebody points out a potential pitfall in the future, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it turns out like those guys are just trying to sell you something, and they were. But Jesus said, don't be anxious about life, particularly food, drink, and clothes. Well, what about TVs, cars, education, retirement, and the like? Well, I think that's probably in there in the life part. And notice he says, God takes care of the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, but God feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? Now, that's not saying if you don't have the opportunity, don't, don't sow and don't reap and don't harvest. John, go reap and harvest. I mean that. <laughs> Keep doing that. He's not saying not to work. But what he's saying is it doesn't all depend on your effort. That God cares for you. And that if you're a faithful person, and for a whole lot of the even that aren't, 
But somehow, they get fed too. How many people do we see starving? People that don't work. People that waste the, what sustenance of life they get. Uh, people who are irresponsible in the highest regard. And sometimes those people live lives that are not deeply comfortable. But how many of them do we see starve? We just don't. Well, there's a care out there and a concern that's out there that is transcending uh, what would appear to be normal human effort and normal human provision. You know what it is? It's God's care. And if God will care for the birds, he'll certainly care for his uh, people. And so don't be anxious. Again, he repeats verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour or a single cubit? Depends on your translation. My New American Standard actually just had an update in uh, 2020, um, and they changed it from cubit to hour because you don't measure hours in cubits. Actually, I think that's intentional, and that is in the original. And Jesus is just talking about how silly it is, although the newer translations, some of them will say hour to make the time parts agree. But by anxiety, can you add an hour to your life? No, as a matter of fact, you can well, though, cut some off right? Anxiety is a life reducer, not a life expander or life enhancer. And so it's fruitless. Don't do it. Again, look at God's care. Are you anxious about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not like one of these in his clothing. But if God so raise the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? I've told you all about that time. I went up to the Cal- mountains a little more than an hour from my house when we lived in California so I could go take pictures of the poppies, the orange poppies on the hillside. And I was late for the poppy season by about two days. And the poppies had diminished by about 70 80% in two days. It's only about a nine-day season, ten-day season to go see them. But I was two days late. Didn't want to take the kids out of school, so I took the kids out of school. Don't do that. Don't take your kids out of school. Take your kids out of school from time to time. But it's glorious. The orange mountain hillsides of the central California coast, unbelievable. You cannot believe what that looks like, nor how much it costs to live near there, but you cannot believe what that looks like. It's like nothing you've ever seen. Nobody has ever clothed themselves like that mountainside. But God does that. But he, so he says, these lilies, they don't toil and they don't spin. Now, you ladies who do your sewing and your quilting, keep quilting and sewing, right? You're going to need those quilts and somebody's going to appreciate them. It's not saying don't work. But what it's saying is that with these material things, there's limits to them. And God provides The unbelievers don't trust that God provides. Verse 31, don't be anxious then. Again, isn't that the third time we've been told don't do it? So we don't do it, right? If Jesus tells you three times, you're going to stop, right? We should, and I hope to. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? For these, the Gentiles, I think the little bit harsher term pagan here is probably better. This is what the pagans look for. But your heavenly father knows you need it. And so the pagans, this is what their life is wrapped up in. And unfortunately for some of them, this is all that their life 
is wrapped up in, of food and drink and clothes. And folks, we got entire cable channels dedicated to all of those. But if we took those off the air, what would we miss? Well, maybe a few new recipes. But we just think about the amount of time and space dedicated to clothes and to fashion, to food and the Epicurean delights, to drink and all sorts of fancy drinks, of the amount that people spend on some of those. And so food and drink and clothes. This is the world. This is not the Christian. The Christian is seeking the kingdom, but seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Enough food, enough clothes, enough of the things of life as a blessing of God, as God provided, and we are gracious for. So, for the fourth time, don't be anxious. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that wasn't even written in 2020 or 2021. There's enough trouble every day. There's new troubles every day. And what if we're worried about every day's new troubles? I haven't got last year's trouble sorted. Now I got this year's. So, we think about what Jesus says. Trust in God and seek the kingdom. Now, for the last few minutes we have, what does this look like? What are some practical things in which trust and seeking the kingdom, what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, some practical things we can do. See, now, Jay, you got me anxious about being anxious. You got me all worried about being worried. Well, let's do, let's do a little better. Let's cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Humble yourselves. See, humility goes with this. Arrogance and thinking you need to do it yourself and by yourself. This gets to a lot of the problem because there is so much I cannot do. I, I used to realize there's a few things I couldn't do. Now I know there's a lot. But over time, we realize our limitations more and more. What did that great prophet of the people, Clint Eastwood, say? Man's got to know his limitations. Well, we're limited, and the, first, the sooner we figure that out, the better. So humble yourself. Change your mind about this, these things you're doing and how you view the world. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. You don't have to exalt yourself. God will do it. I've come to decide, maybe God hasn't decided to exalt me yet. It hasn't been the proper time. But whenever he gets around to making, to giving me exaltation and to lifting me up, it'll be higher than I could ever lift by myself. I can barely lift myself out of bed some days, right? Don't we all feel that way? Well, he can lift us up to the highest places, but he'll do it at the right time, at the proper time. So all your anxieties, all the things of which you're worried about, you need, all the things which you're lacking, all the things of which you think you should get and gain, all the things of which we're worried, let him worry about it. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This echoes the Psalms, Psalm fifty-five twenty-two: Cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And so... 
Give your burdens over to the Lord. New and Old Testament teaching both. Here's an application of that in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guard the city, the watchmen keep watch in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labor. For he gives his beloved even in their sleep. God cares for his people even while they're sleeping, even when they're not doing anything. You know, there's a lot of times when I'm accused of not doing much, right? Just ask my wife. <laughs> so, but the time I guarantee you I'm doing the least is when I'm asleep. That's, that's when I'm doing the least I could possibly be doing. Jay, could you do any less? Yes, I could. I could nod, I could nod off. Some of y'all are doing that right now. So, I could not, that, That's when I'm doing the least. But when is God giving? <laughs> when I'm doing the least, when I'm sleeping. And that's when I recognize how much he's doing. Because if I'm doing and he's doing, well, who do I think I'm probably going to credit? Ooh, look what you did, Jay. No, but when I sleep and it's still working out, that means it's him. What are those other ones? With the painful labor, with the rising early, the retiring late, with the building the house, with the building the city, with the guarding of all these things. Unless God is with it, it will not prosper. There's a lot of things today that I see people building in our culture, in our society, and this is not just politics, but it applies, where I don't see how the Lord is watching that. I don't see how the Lord is blessing that. I don't know how these people have got thus far. Well, what this verse tells me is there'll be a place where it's going to be limited. There's a limit to what they can do because unless God is behind it or God is allowing it, it will not continue. And so they're under this constant curse. Like Psalm 73, about those people whose eyes balls with fatness and it seems like they, they're not troubled like other men. But Asaph the uh, prophet said, I can now see that thou hast set them in slippery places. Well, these people with their painful labor, with their early effort, with their retiring late, with the bread of painful labor, I bet they're really anxious trying to build all this without God's blessing and trying to hold on to it as long as they can. I bet the, their anxiety level is through the roof. But to God's beloved who are sleeping, he's still watching out for them. And so the New Testament, Psalm 4, or excuse me, Philippians 4, New Testament, Philippians 4. Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all. The Lord is near. So be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Thankful prayer without anxiety being kind and forbearing to others. Why? It's all keyed there because the Lord is near. Is the Lord near? Do we trust that he is with us? We can be kind and moderate and forbearing. We don't have to take our own vengeance. We don't have to be settling every score. We don't have to be trying to set everything right constantly by our own efforts. God is near. God will take care of it. Your job is thankful prayer and supplication toward God. And moderation and forbearance toward others so it's a lot easier to have thanksgiving when you count all your blessings so if you want to reduce your blessings excuse me reduce your anxiety let's let's not reduce the blessings. if you want to reduce the anxiety count the blessings we often count the anxieties we often count the problems i make a to-do list and it's like, this is nothing but problems i make a budget and this is nothing but problems i i do all these things it's uh, all these things end up counting my problems. 
I should count my blessings. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Give thanks. Count your blessings. In everything give thanks. Just start saying, Lord, I thank thee for. Then try to make that an exhaustive list. You'll exhaust yourself before you exhaust the list. Count the blessings and cast the anxieties on God. And work for others. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. We have this, the Apostle Paul, in his seeking of the kingdom, he said this, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now, that would seem to maybe be an anxiety-inducing statement. I'm the least, I'm the worst, and look at my past record of terrible failure and active error. All right, and some of us could have a similar statement of look at look at my failures and look at my wrongs and all the things I've done. And we could worry about that for a long time. But that Paul says instead, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So I'm the least of the apostles now. I'm not fit to be an apostle, even though I am. I was a persecutor, but I'm not. I was forgiven of that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, then you believe. So we're working together in this for you guys to believe. We're preaching. I'm preaching with those other apostles, even though I could barely be one. Even though, as Paul says, I, I could almost hang my head in shame and hide my face when, when I met with those guys. But you know, when he met with those guys, he didn't. He gave them the right hand of fellowship. And Acts 15, they gave him the right hand of fellowship back and he brought uh, uh, alms to the nation and was received by them in Acts 21. He, he got along well with them because they recognized he was forgiven. And every true believer, like the other apostles to Paul, recognized when a person is forgiven and they act like it. And so sometimes we worry about, oh, if they only knew, if they knew what I had done, if they knew my sin. No, we, all, we know our own. That's enough. We know our own. We all have the same thing. We all feel like, we're the least. We all feel like we're called to a place we don't belong. We all feel like that God's grace has brought me thus far. And so like Paul, let's make sure that grace is not in vain. But what he say? I labored more than all. This, this, this caused me to work. This caused me to seek for good. Since I got good, I decided to give good from now on, which is all you can do. And by the grace of God, he was as he was. And so in situations that would seem completely overwhelming and things that must be doomed for failure, like 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, we don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction. Oh, that'd be anxiety, affliction would be, which came on us in Asia. So, so I'm talking about this one. There's a lot to choose from. I'm talking about the Asia one that one time. We were burdened excessively. We were beyond our strengths. We despaired even of life. Okay, i got to say, my anxiety feels like that sometimes, but it probably hasn't actually been that, right? But it feels that way, but he was there that way. Indeed, the sentence of death was within ourselves, so that we could not trust ourselves. Oh, I feel that way all the time. I can't trust myself. But in that, our trust was in God, who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and he will deliver us. He on whom we set our hope, he will yet deliver us. So he has delivered us. He is delivering us. He will deliver us. Why? Because he's the great God who can do that. This is not of ourselves. This is of him. 
and you also joining in helping with us through your prayers so that thanks may be given in many portions on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. And so, brethren, here's our part. We're, we're praying. Oh, some of these brethren, they were worried about Paul. I would have been too if I was there. I'm worried about him now, and it's all history. They were worried about him. So what they do? They prayed. He was worried about the situation. He despaired even of life. What did he do? He prayed. What can we do? We can pray. He was working for them, and when he got into a bad fix while working for them, he and they, they all prayed about it. So there was work and there was prayer, and he says, I labored more than the rest. In doing what? In preaching and getting this kingdom message out. And so here it is. Cast your anxieties on him. Count your blessings. Work for others. And as you do this, lastly, fill your mind with godly things. This is Paul writing the Philippians, the letter of joy. Read the church at Philippi uh, in the midst of persecutions and troubles. Right there next to the Thessalonians who had constant persecutions. They had these troubles too. But there, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Gives that anxiety a whole lot less room to grab a hold. Gives that anxiety a lot less place to make its home when your mind is filled with this. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Which sounds an awful lot like what we read in Matthew 6.33, seek the kingdom and everything will be given to you. What's the promise? Peace will be given, everything will be given, all the things that matter will be given. Again, like from the Psalms, they're given of God, even as, even as we sleep. Because they're promises from him and provisions from him. They are not things of which we've had to self-supply. So here's our reduction of anxiety. We cast our anxieties on him. We count our blessings. We work for others. We fill our mind with godly things. Remembering from Matthew 6, trust in God's care and seek the kingdom. With that, we close. Ask this morning if you need to come to the invitation of Jesus Christ to uh, confess him as the Savior, uh, to put him on, be baptized in him for remission of sins. You need to come and uh, be joined with him. Or if you need to come back, confessing sins to return, uh, we'd offer the invitation now as we stand and say. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.